I think what is to me so profound about the work that you did here, and I think others need to hear this, is that yes, it sounds simple, respect, responsiveness, honesty, transparency, sounds simple. But when you look at the research and you realize how integral that is to having a significant impact, you can take it in a different way. This isn't just about this person. It isn't about this issue. This is about who I am as a manager and a leader, that these behaviors, even though it feels perhaps counterintuitive in the moment, it's something that I'm doing because I know this is what it's going to take to have an impact over a long period of time, that there really is a link. There is, and it's it makes a difference. I guess there's two ways of looking at this. I think those characteristics, listening of honesty, of transparency, all those things are essential at a very large and broad scale. You know, I, that's what makes government work. That's a huge idea that maybe what we're doing at this very tiny level in local government, if we're going to make a, a, a step towards improving in those ways that it's somehow linked to improving government at a very large scale is a big idea. But at the very local level, those ways of working and behaving and interacting with the citizens make our immediate work easier. And it doesn't seem like that sometimes because, as I said, that can be a time-consuming process you can find yourselves in, in some difficult conversations, but by engaging citizens into the process, by allowing them to be a part of the process, to have buy-in, they are more likely to accept an outcome, particularly if it's not favorable to them. So at least they can look at it and go, I was part of it. I saw how it worked. I trusted the process. It's not the outcome I wanted, but I get it you're more likely to end at that place and at least have them respect the process and respect the people in that process than if they weren't invited in and just felt that they got dealt whatever the result was. How often do we talk about the role of communication in building trust with the public without talking about what we mean? My guest today, Dr. Mandy Cantlin, is manager in East Bradford Township in Chester County, Pennsylvania. She recently completed her doctorate in public administration, and today we drill down on the topic of her dissertation, public trust in local government. While practitioners are in the flow every day, feeling the heat of communication, academics are studying the impact on public trust. What we learn from one another can shape the way we see our work and the questions we form about the future of public administration. This is the third episode in our series on building relationships between academia, local government, and nonprofits to create partnerships that help communities thrive. We cover so many important topics in this conversation. Check out the show notes for more information. Now, off we go. Good morning, Dr. Mandy Cantlin. And is it okay if I call you Mandy today? Oh, absolutely. Okay. We've been having this conversation about etiquette in some of the calls because I think it's important for people to understand how to address one another. I don't know if you have any particular philosophy about that. I have found that it really just depends on the setting and what, the, what is customary in the setting. I don't use that title really in my day-to-day -day life. I don't use it to refer to myself in the professional world. But when you step foot or when I step foot more into the academic world, it becomes much more customary. So I just allow it to flow depending on where I am and what I feel is appropriate for the setting. Yeah. Thank you for that. I feel comfortable with you, but we've known each other for a while. Um, I also am interested if you could just share today why you decided to pursue your doctorate? I think part of it for me is just personal. I have always enjoyed academics. I've enjoyed college and high school. And I remember when I was 
an undergrad that the idea of being a professor was something that I was interested in. So I've always just enjoyed learning. So part of it was that, uh, and part of it was just looking to advance the profession and the learning that I had done already. So uh, that was a large part of it. I've always been interested in teaching at some point at the college level. I'm not sure, especially 2020 hindsight, I'm not sure that the DPA is looked at in the same way as a PhD. In fact, I know it's not necessarily looked at in the same way as a PhD is from like an academic standpoint. So there's probably limitations there, but I think it was a valuable experience. It gave me a perspective on public administration that I didn't get from my master's degree, and I didn't get necessarily from the practical world either. Mm-hmm. Is that because of the depth of the research? It is. It was, I had more time with the coursework in the DPA to get a more robust understanding of the theories, of the history of public administration. And there was a lot of time spent on the background theories that have led to where we are or how we think about different issues and topics in public administration. On the practical side, that's not really part of the, the learning or the experience. You're just trying to get through the day and deal with the nuts and bolts of the day-to-day administration. You're not necessarily thinking about the theories that have led to how we do what we do or anything like that. And although it's, it may seem, un, I don't want to say unimportant, but maybe tangential to what we're doing on a day-to-day basis, I think it is important. I think it really has given me a depth of understanding and appreciation for the profession that I wouldn't necessarily have had otherwise. Yeah. I think that's probably the most important reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you. I think it's very unique with you coming from such a strong practitioner background to be able to comment and give for us some insights as to how the academic experience enriched your understanding. And my hope is that through this series that there will be more practitioners who will open up the possibility of exploring their own path, but even more importantly, be building those relationships with some academics that can help give them perspective on some of the really critical and tough issues that are facing local government today. I think now that you have an understanding of the context of academia, perhaps you can just start by giving us a little bit of understanding or insight as to why the two worlds of academia and practitioners are so different. Sure. At a very fundamental level, the day-to-day experience in those two worlds is just very different. The objectives of the academic world I see as education, certainly, and advancing knowledge in whatever field it is. Obviously, we're talking about public administration here, but whatever field it is. And the tasks that go along with that and the day-to-day experiences are are based on those objectives. The day-to-day world on the practitioner side is just much more chaotic and varied. You're just dealing with what's happening on a day-to-day basis, which ranges enormously from just your typical administrative tasks to disasters of all sorts of types that you may have never envisioned having to deal with, to plowing snow and parks. You're constantly dealing with the public and other stakeholders and the transparency of the processes. So that world on a day-to-day basis can be very reactive. Certainly, you're trying to plan and anticipate, and, and there's things that you're trying to do proactively. But a lot of it is just what happens when you step foot in the office that you're not necessarily expecting. So it's somewhere 
between feeling like you're drinking from a fire hose and inside of a blender half the time. Whereas my experience, just the little bit of experience that I've had just being in a college or academic world, it, it doesn't have that, that feeling. You, you have more of a plan, what, a little bit more what to expect, certainly with some exceptions. But that's, they're just such, it's such different experiences. But I think the core thing that I walk away in is we have so much to, to offer uh, and learn from each other that can enrich both of our worlds. What comes to my mind is an article that I read yesterday about metrics around public administration and social value. And one of the points he was making is that it's very difficult to find appropriate metrics for value in public administration. And I'm wondering if you saw any of this in your own work, and we're going to get to your dissertation here in just a moment, but it's the softer side of engagement, public engagement, and give some links to his work. But I think it's just very interesting how we can approach it. And you talked about this in our prep call. It's not the same metrics as you would use in business around how many customers did you have visit today? Although that's, that's an okay kind of metric, but it's a much richer, like the value parks, I thought was a good example. I think it's, there's something that we felt shift during the pandemic that suddenly we realized how important our parks were to the quality of life and for engagement at the place where people actually went to connect and to also deal with some of the mental stress of the pandemic. And so when you're studying this in the academic world or talking about this, I could see where the practitioner, somebody is in your role as manager, could have a much closer feel for what's happening in the parks. They could be saying, this is what we're seeing. It's just, it's so crowded. And then you have in the academic world, much larger discussions about what is happening. If you know what I'm saying. Oh, right? yeah. No, I agree with that conclusion. That, that's really been, that was what I experienced. And I, I think academically there can be, with some, certainly not with all, but with some, this resistance to combining qualitative and quantitative data collection and analysis. The, the fundamental concepts behind those two methodologies are very different. The skills required to, to deploy them and understand them are very different. So those mixed methodologies have those challenges associated with them. But I think it ends, it gives us a, a much richer result. And there's plenty of scholars that have reached that same conclusion because the data is not unimportant. We do learn from the quantitative data, and that does give us some important information on a whole variety of topics. But the qualitative side of that and the experience of the citizen is something that I don't think we can ignore. I think it really does have to go hand in hand, particularly given the importance of the citizen's role in what we do. And that kind of data collection is challenging and more complex and time-consuming. And analyzing that kind of data is messy, but the practical world is messy. So I think we have to grapple with the fact that this is a very human, human role and profession, and humans are messy. So it's, I, if we just focus on the quantitative questions and that methodology, I think we're losing a certain amount of depth and richness uh, and understanding in the research that's occurring. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I do think it is important to look at the research from the larger context so you can recognize patterns and begin to discern, is this happening in our region? Is this happening in our state? Is this happening across the country? What's happening? And particularly when, because we are at that ground level, really able to see shifts. And I, I get this as a consultant working with different organizations. It's very interesting to me when over a period of time, I'm able to see a pattern that these things are happening, not just in one place. It's happening 
in every place I go, or maybe there's a place it's not happening. And then that, that makes me curious. Why is it not happening here? And I guess, you know, when, when I think about what can practitioners bring to academics, it's really that. It's the experience. It is. It's the experience. And I think possibly the forum and what we're talking about in like the citizen experience and really digging into what that is, whatever the topic says, maybe it's park use. Getting that is challenging. Getting whether you're going to do it in person or whether you're going to try to get feedback through some sort of survey, getting to those end users, those units who you're looking to study is challenging. Uh, People don't come to public meetings half the time. We have public meetings on a regular basis here and there's nobody in attendance. So it's not as a, as a researcher, it's not a sure thing that if you show up to a township meeting or a township office, you're going to get access to citizens. It's, they're not necessarily here. They're elsewhere. So it's, a, it's challenging to get that data, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think still important. And, you know, when I did just the little bit that I did for the dissertation, the citizens that I ended up having focus groups with were seemed really happy to be asked for input and to be part of a process that they were much more willing to participate and share very honestly than I was really expecting. I was expecting that to be a little bit harder, but mm-hmm. it took a little bit to get to them. There's the term action research, and I suppose it would be an example of working with a with a local government or several local governments in a particular project and studying those dynamics. When you're actually doing that kind of research, it requires this empathy, which is something else you don't always see at the academic level. Where you have that sort of stepping back and being very objective, whereas when you're the practitioner, you can really describe exactly what people are getting upset about. Mm-hmm. In a particular situation. Yes. Yeah. Very important. It, it is. And I think that's the overlap that at least from where I sit in a, a little bit in both worlds, I don't see that much. You see a lot of research generated in the academic world and some of the questions are very interesting and some of the findings are very meaningful. And then you have the world that exists in the practitioner side of the setting, but that level of action research that really takes a finding or recommendation and drives it all the way through to the implementation side. And whether that driver is an academic or whether that driver is a practitioner, that process is time consuming, like you said, and and it requires its own level of focus. But being able to take it all the way through into the implementation and be in the middle of the results and then get the benefit of being able to study those results, I think is the full circle. That would be the most beneficial loop in public administration is to follow it all the way around. Yeah. And there you have, I think, an opportunity for that sort of partnership where there would be something that the two two sectors could work together to really create very interesting outcomes. Mandy, let's move on to your dissertation. You chose the topic of trust. The title of your dissertation was Trust, Exploring the Importance of Communication in Building and Maintaining Trust in Local Government. You want to talk a little bit about why you chose this topic? It was a bit of a iterative process, I guess. I didn't necessarily, I did, certainly didn't go into the doctoral program with some topic in mind. I know some people do, but that wasn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do the dissertation on initially. And some of my earlier papers, like in my first courses, were focused on the concept of like bureaucracy and red tape and the impact that can have on government. But as I wrote more on that, I started asking myself why that topic, why red tape really, why it was important to me or why it mattered. And I landed, I finally got to the point where I realized that the lack of public trust is arguably one of the impacts that red tape can have. It just distances people from a process. They get frustrated. It just seems 
ridiculous when you're going through some of these types of processes. And then as I thought more about trust, I realized how critical that is to the functioning of a representative democracy and how essential it is, and that it seemed to have a lot to do with why government does or doesn't work well. So that that really became more of my focus gravitated over a year or two more to public trust. And that's really what I started reading more about. I think then as a topic, it's got to be one of the most challenging and also relevant topics today. So I'm really pleased to have this conversation with you. And you start out in your opening talking about the allegory of the blind man and the elephant to illustrate how difficult it can be to study trust because there are so many interrelated parts to it and that it really looks different depending on where you're standing and where you're touching that elephant. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. First of all, the, I have, can't speak at all to the origin of the allegory. I don't know what its history is or where it came from, I, but I had landed on it somewhere. But yeah, it's uh, the, the short gist, if anybody's not familiar with it, is this idea of a number of blind men uh, touching an elephant at different points and trying to understand what they're touching. And of course, the person who's touching the tusk of the elephant reaches a very different conclusion than the person who's touching the tail and so on and so forth. And the fundamental idea behind it is that each person ends up being partly right about their understanding of what the elephant is, but they're all wrong too, because they don't have a full picture of what it is. And I, yeah, I used that as a bit of a, of a way to get at the topic of trust, because as you, it's certainly well-written about in terms of being a research topic, but because it is such a core idea and concept in so many things, it gets researched from a lot of different angles. You can look at the trust between individual people. You can look at the trust between people and institutions. And then you can look at public trust in government or what the internet does to try to... You could just look at trust from so many different ways. And it gets defined in different ways. It gets people end up reaching conclusions, which may be sound academically in how they get there, but the conclusions can be contradictory. So it just seems to be this really difficult topic to really put your thumb on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I had the same challenge and I think anybody could point to the work I did and say the same thing. I looked at it from a very particular scope and a narrow scope and reached my own conclusions, but it is the difficult topic. I think that's why it's right on the edge. It's, it's not something you can get definitive about, but it's provocative, which I think makes it so important to talk about today. For instance, I was thinking about the fact that there's so many national issues that are being fed into our local scene. So my understanding of does something fit with my understanding of the world, it could really depend on, on what I'm being exposed to in the way of information. And so I know you could talk about a whole number of things, but you mentioned to me in an earlier conversation that our constitutional government, whether it's federal, state, or local, is clearly left in the hands of the people, that they're intended to be part of the process. And this gets to the heart of the role of the manager. So I'm wondering if you might talk about these aspects of your work that helps to clarify the role of local government, but also how trust is is a factor in how we do local government. Sure. uh, Responding to a few things that you mentioned there, I think we're always learning from the past and adapting how we work to whatever our circumstances are. And yes, there has been this evolution over time to make government function more like a business. And a lot of that was a reaction 100, 150 years ago to the increasing complexity of government. It's just gradually, we've, as we've, our programs have become more complex. I'm really talking federally at this point, although it's certainly trickling down 
to the local level for sure. As government got more and more complex, there was this argument that it's, it was just running inefficiently. We need to make it, we need to model it more on, on business and make it more efficient, clear authorities and hierarchies and so on and so forth. And over time, that evolved even further as we're looking now back into the 1990s-ish, where the thinking even went one step further to say that we shouldn't really only just be modeling our structures on business, but we should also really be looking at the values of business too and privatizing as many things as we can in the name of efficiencies. And all of that has maybe, I'm sure, unintentionally in a way, but naturally pushed the citizen out of the equation because citizen involvement and participation in government processes is by its very nature more complex, messier. You're bringing people into a process that are bringing in a lot of different opinions. uh, And each person typically looking at a program or initiative or policy from their own personal perspective, what is going to be most beneficial to them. And you put 10,000 or more of them together and you have a challenge to work through. So the citizen part of the process is intrinsically messy and it really is conflicts with the efforts to become more efficient. So that's really, I think, the more present day conclusion is that these efficiency efforts have come at a cost of fairness, of accountability, of public participation. And going back to where you started, those are really the way that government, particularly local government, was intended to run was through the volunteerism of citizens. So now we have this, a lot of us have these governments, like I started with earlier, we we have public meetings when there's a lot of pub- public issues that are being discussed and nobody's there. And I think some of the tensions now that we're seeing, certainly at the national level and that is trickling down, are the public's frustrations that they don't feel like they're part of the process. They don't feel that they're being listened to, that their government is serving them. So we have this disconnect that is going to be, that is certainly challenging to knit together again. And it's challenging for those of us in it to rethink the way we work. And it's challenging to try to pull citizens into a process that is foreign to them, that they don't understand, and that they're frankly busy. So this is one more thing that they were, we all have busy lives outside work. And the last thing you want to do is to get involved with a public meeting. Some. So it, it's a challenge. It's, it's so profound, though, Mandy. It almost just, it gives me the chills in a way to think about how this all began in this country and our constitution and how we were meant to be involved in the process, but we're just too darn busy to do it. So then we step back and then what happens? And I think the area of privatization, I'd like to do an episode on that later in the year. I'm still learning about it, but I think that has caused a lot of disruption and imbalance in the trust of government. But it's like we have to figure out what we want. Yeah. And if we don't want the privatization, we need to be more involved. And I, I think there's a place for privatization. I think there's certainly a lot of functions that a government does where we, maybe we don't have to do it ourselves. But making sure that we're keeping that, that accountability that we have to the citizens as part of that contracting process is important. But if there are services that make more sense for us to do locally, that comes with expense. It comes with personnel. There's a whole structure that goes into providing those services that has to be part of the conversation, too. Which in today's world is more difficult because we know the economy of scale is such that it's difficult at a local level to be able to do things at the same price. I think another area is development. So this relates to trust. The issue of conflict, how conflict is handled. So one of, one of the things I've learned from experienced managers 
is that they see the conflict that happens at meetings to be a natural part of the process. If you didn't have conflict, you wouldn't have engagement to some extent. So if there's an uproar over a particular decision, whether it regards development or something else like that, that they feel impacts their immediate environment, they're going to get engaged. And so from a, the perspective of trust, that becomes important for a manager to be able to know what to do with that conflict, not to necessarily push it away, but maybe to help give it some, what, structure, some process to be able to work through it. There, there are a handful of things on that. I think first, one of the key roles of somebody at an administrative role like this is to get ahead of it, to be the first one out of the gate to inform the public of what the issue is, to be able to frame it. And there's some, there's a benefit of having the ability to be the first one to inform the community about a certain issue as opposed to letting the rumor mill get in front of it and letting, letting it come out through social media or what have you. And half the time, more than half the time, what comes out is only partial fragments of the truth and it gets twisted along the way. If that happens, you're in the, you're in the backpedaling mode and that's puts you right out of the gate in the defensive. People tend to come with the uh, pitchforks and torches and every, and everything else. And that you're already in an adversarial situation at that point. If you can be the first one to inform the community about it and at least frame the issue and inform them about how they can participate in the process, whether that's a public meeting or how you're going to engagement them. I think that's, that's a, a key first step. Don't you know, one of the, one of the elected officials I have the pleasure of working with said to me when he first came on the board was, no surprises. I don't want to be surprised. And mm -hmm. I think that I remember that all the time because I think that's something that I think about often. What is going to surprise somebody and how can I prevent that surprise? How can I be the first one to tell them? After that, once you get into the engagement part, that skill to moderate a, a tense conversation is one that I, I frankly, I don't know that I have. I'm pretty sure I actually don't have it. And there are, pers there are people who absolutely are skilled in that. And I think it's fascinating. And I think that's an area, if we then point back to the academic world, if you're training people to come into this profession, I think that is a, a valuable skill set that I wish I had more of how to really be a facilitator of a difficult conversation. And then going one step further to the citizens, we don't learn in school necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think this is starting to circle back now into both lower level education and academics, but just fundamentally how to have a difficult conversation. Yeah. We have forgotten how to do that. We get on the computer, we have the shield of being able to type something and have a computer screen and not necessarily having to feel or empathize with the other person. And we have forgotten how to just listen to each other, listen to really understand just what somebody else's perspective is. It doesn't mean we have to agree with them. That's just such a fundamental human skill that I think we've lost. So there are a bunch of pieces of that whole process that we can stand to improve on as a society. And it's not necessarily just the responsibility of the public administrator, but we can certainly be a, a key person in that education process. And because you're right, going back to what you were saying, that deliberation, there's a big difference between just fighting and deliberating. But that deliberation process can be, can be stressful. You're going to get people with different viewpoints, but how do you teach them to hear each other and really look at it through not only their own self-interest, but through the eyes of public good, which is ultimately what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. And I think that this is happening. Sandra Zadell said in the episode that we just had that this was like the number one issue that she is really working with. It's just, you, 
this sort of behavior, you have to depend on the civil behavior of people in this engagement process. So as a manager and with your facilitation skills, I think the best you can do is to set it up so that people have an opportunity to participate, that you can walk them through the process of having their voice heard and then doing something in the way of, of bringing those voices together. But if you have people who come to the process unwilling to be civil, then this is where we're at right now. It's not clear how to come out the other side. You want to hope that you don't get to that point. And I think that is that what I love about your dissertation is that it has a lot of wisdom in it, just the sort of things that you're sharing today. At the same time, you also have very good research in there that helps us understand context. I think it's important to understand that this is happening everywhere. It's not a personal thing that's happening to any one manager or any one board. It's, it could happen anywhere. You do also offer that personal integrity is really vital, except that it appears to be, from your research, more of a trait than a skill. It's not something you can necessarily guarantee. And I think maybe managers could share an experience at some time in their career where there is somebody that is on their board or council that does not necessarily have personal integrity. And that's an example, but can be a real challenge in your work. Yeah. Personal integrity, that just that general service mentality, those those do tend to be more trade-oriented, meaning but a very crude terms, you have it or you don't. I, there's a lot of, there's some gray area there, obviously, but it's not quite as crude. But it is an, a profession, and this extends to everybody that, you know, from the elected officials to people who are in the management roles to the very front level, whether it's front desk or public works or whoever's really on the front line. You find yourself sometimes feeling like you're in front of a firing squad. And people come at you with anger about something that you probably didn't have, you're not necessarily in full control of, but they they bring their anger about something to that first person, whoever that first person is that they see, and you get this onslaught. And having the having just the skin to deal with that sometimes and know that aggression isn't personal and how to navigate through that in some sort of productive way is a skill and a trait it's a little bit of both but i've certainly had the opportunity to work with people who have interest in public service there's interest in helping people or something like that but leave because of that type of experience that they just, they lose sleep over that. They feel the personal attacks and there's not necessarily anything that I can do or an elected official can do to necessarily stop that. That's kind of part of the role. So there are aspects of working in this field that I, are, are good to know before you go venturing down this path. Uh, and that's one more thing, I think, in that academic and practitioner cooperation that we can give students who are interested in this field, whether it's through internships or, or other types of experiences. Can we get them to experience that, to see that? And really, do they have some of the traits that are going to make them successful? in navigating those situations? I think in my experience as a consultant, the most extreme example that I encountered, I remember going away and thinking, and in that case, there was some elected officials, one in particular without personal integrity, who was attacking the employees. And I remember thinking in my mind, the manager had not set enough boundaries. And this, this goes to speaking out. This goes to a manager being able to say, here are the boundaries and really standing clear of, about what they are so that if the elected official blows past them, 
it's really clear that's outside the boundaries that have been established. And sometimes I think it's very difficult for the manager to, to do that. It's another topic that has been coming up lately that relates to trust, and that's about speaking out. If you're going to build trust, you have to know when that time is to speak out so that, so that people understand where sort of the limits are. For the, if the board is going to lean in a direction that is not professionally indicated by the staff, the administration, they may decide to do that. But does, and trust comes from the administration being able to at least say, this is where we are recommending. Where the line is. And that is tricky. And I think you can probably speak to this much more knowledgeably than I can in from the HR world is it is it's a tricky situation when you have elected officials that you don't have I can't fire them I can't write them up because they've behaved in a certain way and navigating personnel issues where you have elected and employees and I, everything you just said makes sense, setting up the boundaries and, and what the parameters are. But then you get to the, what happens if, what happens if they break these parameters? And this even, I think, goes further outside the HR world, too, if you have elected officials that are clearly not in their role for the right reasons, or they have done any number of bad things that questions whether they're the, the right person for that role, you, you, the process to, quote, get rid of them, it, it's not straightforward. It's not, you can't just, again, it's they're not an employee you can fire. And I can see where from the citizen side of things, that can be an area where you do lose faith in the public system, uh, where you see somebody that is holding that role of an elected official performing in a way that is not fitting the image of public integrity. But then what do you do about it? There's very little process when it comes to that side of the equation. So that's, that, is, that can be tricky. I knock on wood. I haven't had that tension between an elected person and an employee, but man, that, that's a tough one to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, we've all known really great managers who have left for reasons that relate to personal integrity. Yes. And it's really difficult when you have a professional vow of neutrality and you're not interested in talking about the behind the scenes going on. And so what ends up happening is that you risk, you risk being viewed as the one who is the problem. But in the big picture, that doesn't really happen. In the big picture, what happens is the good managers survive, they go on, they succeed. And it just, it's walking through that fire, walking through that period where you have to make that decision that is, it happens in private sector and it happens in public sector. I guess that's the whole thing with leadership. And so when you think about trust, you have to find those boundaries of your own first and be willing to live by them. And I'm wondering if having worked on the dissertation, going through that process has changed the way you see your role as manager and not just because of the discipline and the work and the, all of that, but also just that you came out of it maybe viewing that role a little differently. I think it it somewhat I think that maybe my own style or approach to the role was always somewhat similar. I always I have always in, enjoyed it, it maybe an odd way the varied interactions that I've had with the public. I, I enjoyed those communications. I don't shy away from them. So I think I've always approached it a little bit with a desire to educate, to inform, to understand. And, and I probably have more patience 
for that type of an exchange, possibly to a fault, but I tend to invite that maybe more than others. But I do think that the process has maybe deepened my own feelings about some of those things, about really the value of listening and engaging and just allowing somebody to feel heard and respected. And it's what I struggle with sometimes is that seems so simple, (laughs) but yet it's not. And I do think that whole idea of what is some sometimes just inherent traits that make somebody better, or maybe better is not the right word, but more successful in a certain role than others. I've made I've paid a little bit more attention to that. And for me personally, I always use nursing as an example. I could I'd be the worst nurse ever. <laughs> so for me, I know that's just an inherent trait I don't have. I'm glad people have it, but it's not, we need them, but it would not be my profession. And I think that's, there's a certain amount of that, I think, in any profession. There's people that are just going to have the right skills and abilities and interests to, to be successful. Yeah. I think what is, to me, so profound about the work that you did here, and I think others need to hear this, is that, yes, it sounds simple, respect, responsiveness, Honesty, transparency sounds simple. But when you look at the research and you realize how integral that is to having a significant impact, you can take it in a different way. You can understand almost like you're going through a training that says, okay, this isn't just about this person. It isn't about this issue. This is about who I am as a manager and a leader, that these are These behaviors, even though it feels perhaps counterintuitive in the moment, it's something that I'm doing because I know this is what it's going to take to have an impact over a long period of time, that there really is a link. There is, and it's, it makes a difference. I I think one of the things that it makes a difference is there, I guess there's two ways of looking at this. I think those characteristics listening, of honesty, of transparency, all those things are essential at a very large and broad scale. You know, that's what makes government work. That's a huge idea that maybe what we're doing at this very tiny level in local government, if we're going to make a step towards improving in those ways, that it's somehow linked to improving government at a very large scale is a big idea. But at the very at the very local level, those ways of working and behaving and interacting with the citizens make our immediate work easier. And it doesn't seem like that sometimes because, as I said, that can be a time-consuming process. You can find yourselves in, in some difficult conversations, but by engaging citizens into the process, by allowing them to be a part of the process, to have buy-in, they are more likely to accept an outcome, particularly if it's not favorable to them. So at least they can look at it and go, I was part of it. I saw how it worked. I trusted the process. It's not the outcome I wanted, but I get it. You're more likely to end at that place and at least have them respect the process and respect the people in that process than if they weren't invited in and just felt that they got dealt whatever the result was. But the other point I wanted to make, and this then points more into your field, is that the struggle that I have is, okay, you reach these conclusions, and these aren't new conclusions that I've come to, really. that these things are important and they're important in the public spectrum. Then you start to enter that like management and training side of things. How do you, I see it as important, but how do you lead an organization down that path? How do you make that organizational shift? And that's tricky. I've seen you do this, Mandy. And just by introducing conversations in the organization, 
let's look at this. You become curious about <clears throat> whether you could do things differently there. And it doesn't mean you always have the answer, but you open up the question. And I see this as being really important in shaping any kind of management team or staff development. It's just introducing the conversation, having the conversations and letting them benefit from the process of examination. I was reading this week some research on transparency. It's been bugging me that word gets thrown around so much. So I asked myself, <clears throat> what if you replaced the word? You weren't allowed to use that word anymore. Like, how would you replace that word? What is it you're doing that is transparent? And a reason why I think it's, it's so critical for the role of manager, when I, for instance, <clears throat> produce a, a, a study and I'm thinking, what are they going to do with this data? What are they going to do with these recommendations? And the manager has to really know what is important information for the board to know? What is important information for the public, for the employees to know? Not necessarily, this is what the research says, it doesn't mean just putting it all out there. That can be actually counterproductive. Yeah. But the transparency is defined more as being able as a leader to discern what it is that needs to be. In other words, you don't want to be hiding something that would be impactful, but you want right. to be putting that information into a format that is able to be processed, utilized to make good decisions. And I was going to add to that transparency in and of itself. And you're right. I think the term can mean a lot of different things or mean a range of things. Transparency isn't linked, at least as I found it, really cleanly to trust. Because like you said, you can throw a whole bunch of stuff out there and that doesn't necessarily make it meaningful or digestible. The other component of it is, though, transparency without some opportunity for engagement or to be involved isn't that meaningful. If you put it all out there, but you don't invite the citizens to participate, to comment, to be part of the process, well, then we're right back to where we began. It's, you're just shoveling information out there without in without letting them feel per, as part of the process feel heard and so on and so forth and that's the meaningful component so the transparency part is important to be transparent about the process of government and how it works but part of that is that it is a process that involves the citizens and it's not just hey this is the information we're putting out there mm -hmm. so it's nuanced i guess i would say important but nuanced Yes, it certainly is. And it's more of an art than a science in terms of yes, how to do it. I've always been just really impressed by how managers are able to navigate this. I want to just talk then about the future. And we played around with this conversation a little bit. I, I think that when you have a doctorate in the area of public administration, there's probably some new ways that you could really enrich uh, the profession, and I'm just hopeful that you're able to spread your wings this way. But it would be exciting to create. I don't know if it was with you, was it? Oh, shoot, I'm not going to remember. Pracademic, that word? Did no, I, I, that wasn't me. I like that, though. Pracademic <laughs> has been coming up, and I think you are that. <laughs> I do like that, yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know what it looks like. Like you said, I, 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 I'm really interested and attracted to this area in between, and I will be the first to admit that I don't have the depth of skill set when it comes to research methodology that somebody who has spent their life in academia has. They they have much much deeper knowledge on the specifics of research, which is a huge skill in and of itself. I recognizing that limitation, I have had the practical experience of what this world can be like. So it is this marrying of the two, where they overlap. We have so much to gain from each other. We will create better, I think, public administrators and officials and people that go into this world if we can work together more, both on the research side and the education and practitioner side.
how to do that. Obviously, the devil is always in the details. How do you really, what are the, what the logistics look like? And I'm sure there are models to, to learn from and people that are doing this successfully. But really, how do we do more of it? And how do we make it meaningful is just an area that is, that is really interesting to me. Yeah, you could just bring so much in terms of your practical experience. But I also thought of conferencing, being able to work in the roundtable forum, to be a part of discussions where there's a rich interchange between what's happening with research, what's happening in local government. And I think often we go and we listen to one and we listen to the other. But I think a, an exchange would be healthy and wonderful for the field of local government and academia. So I want to close by thinking about a future where you receive an invitation. I've been asking all of the guests what their ideal invitation might look like. And this could be completely imagined. But where would that invitation come from? And what would it look like? In a way, I know it's, I shouldn't reframe your question. In a way, I feel like I've gotten the invitation. And I feel that it's an invitation to have the ability to work in this area of local government. Somewhat ironically, it was a profession that my, my father suggested to me back when I was an undergraduate and I thought he was crazy and why would anybody want to do that? So in a way, I feel like he gave me that invitation a long time ago. I feel more like I'm trying to figure out what to wear to the party and what role am I going to play at the party and really what that looks like. And I think that's where I'm struggling in this gray zone. Like, how do I take the best of where I've been and make it the most useful? And I think that means that following your line of thought, you know, that invitation, if you would, could come from any number of sources. And I don't necessarily think that I'm partial to one or the other, academic, public, nonprofit, where I am right now. It's just, what am I going to wear? How am I going to put on the ensemble that best okay. suits where I've been and the what I've acquired through knowledge and experience to make the best impression. I can appreciate what you're saying, Mandy. And I see you as a bridge builder, a connector, and I can imagine many possibilities where you could be present in a situation where there needs to be some bridge building that happens, that understanding, because there's in this road of local government, too often we work in silos. And so to be able to understand a fuller context, how to approach the issue of trust, for example, it's something that can show up everywhere, as you said, for many different reasons. It's this huge elephant in the room. And uh, gosh, what would be the metaphor, Mandy? Wise and able to pull people together and look at it from different perspectives, look at things from different perspectives and yeah, a catalyst. Yeah, and that I, that idea of just getting out of our silos, I think we all, I think everybody probably does that to a degree in their own professions, but really uh, getting as many varied people, there's per certainly the nonprofit side of things or the, the these public nonprofit and academic, there, there are definitely institutions out there, Kettering Foundation and Harwood Institute that and many others that that do this kind of work, but just pulling as people together with varied backgrounds to look at some of these challenges from a variety of angles, I I think is that's a good thought. Yeah, we'll see. So time will tell. Time will yeah. tell. But you're in a good place now, and Absolutely. thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation in this series. And I, I just think it complements the conversations to 
helps have you be able to focus in your singular experience of being in both worlds. It's just been great. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yep. All the best to you. Okay. You take care of yourself. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.